Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. Today's discussion will be on Mosiah chapter 4. This chapter teaches us how to stay out of the club of Sinners Anonymous. So uh, let's get into this chapter. Uh, this is a continuation of King Benjamin's uh, talk. Verse 1, Now it came to pass <clears throat> that when King Benjamin had made an end of speaking the words which had been delivered unto him by the angel of the Lord, that he cast his eyes round about on the multitude, and behold, they had fallen to the earth, for the fear or reverence or respect of the Lord had come upon them. Now, <clears throat> um, Brother Hugh Nibley said, On the theme of eternity, the closing sound of every royal acclamatio, King Benjamin ended his address, which so overpowered the people that they had fallen to the earth, for the fear of the Lord had come upon them. This was the kind of proskinesis at which Benjamin aimed. The proskinesis was the falling to the earth, literally kissing the ground in the presence of the king, by which all the human race on the day of the coronation demonstrated its submission to divine authority. It was an unfailing part of the old world New Year's rites as of the royal audience. Again, this has reference to the, the New Year, the Yom Kippur, the Feast of Tabernacles time frame. Verse 2. <clears throat> and they had viewed themselves in their, own, in their own carnal state, even less than the dust. Being less than the dust means we are not as obedient to God as the dust is. In Helaman it says, How great is the nothingness of the children of men, yea, even they are less than the dust of the earth. For behold, the dust of the earth moveth hither and thither to the dividing asunder at the command of our great and everlasting God. Dust of the earth, all who have not taken upon themselves the name of Christ through sacred covenant, all who have not sought to obtain a remission of sins through his atoning blood, remain the children of the world. Theirs is a carnal state. Continuing verse 2, And they all cried aloud with one voice, saying, O have mercy, and apply the atoning blood of Christ, that we may receive forgiveness of our sins, and our hearts may be purified. For we believe in Jesus Christ, or we have faith in Christ, the Son of God, who created heaven and earth, and all things who shall come down among the children of men. <clears throat> In the ancient world, the Hazan, the proc, the pre, whatever, uh, some Greek word here that I don't know, or Hebrew word that I can't pronounce. <clears throat> anyway, in the ancient world, this would have been, this would have handed, they would have handed a piece of paper. Then the emperor or someone else would tell him what he wanted the people to chant. Referring to the account of Nathan the Babylonian, the, the whole thing is directed by the man on the tower. The old man, the preacentor, comes down, they ask questions, the king interprets the law to them, and they all answer together. It isn't as if they all spontaneously recited this whole thing in one voice. It says it was in one voice, but that's not the way it was done. So that's Hugh Nibley, um, based on his understanding of ancient customs and how they how they do things back in the day. <clears throat> so even though it sounds like it's one voice saying this, that's not really how it was done. Uh, anyway, verse 3. <clears throat> and it came to pass that after they had spoken these words, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them, and they were filled with joy. So this is showing that they had been, they had been forgiven of their sins. <clears throat> Our text suggests three ways <clears throat> by which one may know that his sins have been remitted. He is filled with joy. He is filled with peace. 
and the favors and blessings of the Holy Ghost, the gifts of the Spirit, are manifested in his life. Continuing verse 3, having received a remission <clears throat> of their sins and having peace of conscience because of the exceeding faith which they had in Jesus Christ, who should come according to the words which King Benjamin had spoken unto them. Some of the people probably had already been baptized prior to this happening. Uh, there may have been some of those of the Mulekites that had not yet been baptized since they did not have the gospel hundreds of years after leaving Jerusalem. President Kimball says, The essence of the miracle of forgiveness is that it brings peace to the previously anxious, restless, frustrated, perhaps tormented soul. In a world of turmoil and contention, this is indeed a priceless gift. Peace is the fruit of righteousness. It cannot be bought with money and cannot be traded nor bartered. It must be earned. <clears throat> the wealthy often spend much of their gains in a bid for peace only to find that it is not for sale. But the poorest as well as the richest may have it in abundance if the total price is paid. Those who abide the laws and live the, live the Christ-like life may have peace and other kindred blessings, principle among which are ex exaltation and eternal life. They include also blessings for, the, for this life. Harold B. Lee said, If the time comes when you have done all that you can to repent of your sins, then you will want that confirming answer as to whether or not the Lord has accepted of you. In your soul searching, if ye seek for and you find that peace of conscience, by that token you may know that the Lord has accepted of your repentance. Satan would have you think otherwise and sometimes persuade you that now, having made one mistake, you might go on and on with no turning back. That is one of the great falsehoods. The miracle of forgiveness is available to all those who turn from their evil doings and return to and return no more. Because the Lord has said in a revelation to us in our days, <clears throat> Go your ways and sin no more. But unto that soul who sinneth, meaning, meaning again, shall the former sins return, saith the Lord your God. Have that in mind, all of you who, who may be troubled with the burden of sin. And that was uh, Elder or President Harold B. Lee. Boyd K. Packer said, Often the most difficult part of repentance is to forgive yourself. Discouragement is part of that test. Do not give up. That brilliant morning will come. Then the peace of God, which passeth understanding, comes into your life once again. Then you will like him. Then you, like him, will remember your sins no more. How will you know? You will know. Verse 4. And King Benjamin again opened his mouth and began to speak unto them, saying, My friends and my brethren, my kindred and my people, I would again call your attention that ye may hear and understand the remainder of my words which I shall speak unto you. In other words, uh, listen, pay attention. The people have fallen to the ground, and now Benjamin is getting their attention to hear his words again. Verse 5, For behold, if the knowledge of the goodness of God at this time has awakened you to a sense of your nothingness and your worthless and fallen state... <clears throat> What he means is that we are totally dependent upon God for all our support. Verses 5 through 8 form a logical set in that they progress naturally from one theme to another. However, verse 10 appears to return to the conceptual beginning of verse 5. Benjamin is a sufficiently talented speaker that his second iteration does not come across as a total repetition. Nevertheless, the sequence reads as an aside that returns to an original, original topic. This is more of a characteristic of oral discourse than considered in deliberate written form, where the first speech appeared to be very tightly crafted and probably written, at least comp composed mentally, prior to delivery. This speech appears to be more spontaneous. The situation of the speech also suggests that this was not a composed speech because the content depends upon the experience of the crowd with the spirit, something for which Benjamin would have hoped but could not have accurately predicted beforehand. 
Once again, if Nibley's suggestion is correct that this entire pageant was scripted, then Benjamin would be continuing to follow the script. The power of the impact of the spirit on the people could not have been scripted, however, and the incident continuous, uh, continues to have the feel of a spontaneous interaction rather than a formulaic repetition of a script. The more unplanned nature of this second discourse suggests that the written texts of the discourse that Mormon describes beforehand, which is in Mosiah chapter 2, verse 8, were actually records after the fact. Rather than, the, rather than scripts being handed out, they were reports of the words and covenants Benjamin had declared. Verse 6, And I, I say unto you, if ye have come to a knowledge of the goodness of God and his matchless power and his wisdom and his patience and his long suffering towards the children of men, and also the atonement which has been prepared from the foundation of the world, that thereby salvation might come to him, that should put his trust in the Lord, and should be diligent in keeping his commandments, and continue in the faith even unto the end of his life, I mean the life of the mortal body, I say that this is the man who receiveth salvation through the atonement which was prepared from the foundation of the world for all mankind, which ever were since the fall of Adam, and who are, or who ever shall be, even unto the end of the world." And this is the means whereby salvation cometh, and there is none other salvation save that which hath been spoken of. Neither are there any conditions whereby man can be saved except the conditions which I have told you. We should also keep in mind that this uh, plan of salvation that he's talking about here, he says that there is no other plan. There's no other plan, not just for this planet, but for every other planet that God created. And in fact, the plan of salvation throughout the galaxy, throughout the universe, wherever, however far you want to go, is the same plan that we have. There is no different plan of salvation on different planets or different areas or different universes. Uh, the plan of salvation is the same throughout. This is the only plan. It's the plan that everyone uses, no matter where you are, on whichever planet you live. Verse 9, believe in God, believe that he is and that he has created you, created all things both in heaven and in earth. Believe that he has all wisdom and all power both in heaven and in earth. Believe that man doth not comprehend all the things which the Lord can comprehend. Joseph Smith said, let us here observe that three things are necessary in order that any rational and intelligent being may exercise faith in God unto life and salvation. First, the idea that he actually exists. Secondly, a correct idea of his character, perfections, and attributes. Thirdly, an actual knowledge that the course of life which he is pursuing is according to his will. For without an acquaintance with these three important facts, the faith of every rational being must be imperfect and unproductive, but with this understanding it can become perfect and fruitful, abounding in righteousness under the praise and glory of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, and again, believe that ye must repent of your sins and forsake them and humble yourselves before God and ask in sincerity of heart that he would forgive you. And now, if you believe all these things, see that ye do them. So it's not a matter of just believing. We have to act upon them. We have to actually do the words, do the acts that we're being told here. Repent of our sins and seek forgiveness. Verse 11, and again I say unto you, as I have said before, that as, as ye have come to the knowledge of the glory of God, or if ye have known of his goodness, and have tasted of his love, and have received a remission of your sins, which causeth such exceedingly great joy in your souls, even so I would that ye should remember, and always retain in remembrance, remember that President Kimball said the most important word in the English language is the word remember, the greatness of God and your, and your own nothingness and his goodness and long suffering towards you unworthy creatures and humble yourselves even in the depths of humility calling on the name of the Lord daily and standing steadfastly in the faith of that which is to come which was spoken 
by the mouth of the angel. And behold, I say unto you that if ye do this, ye shall always rejoice and be filled with the love of God and, and always retain a remission of your sins. Um, Elder Maxwell said, Much emphasis was given by King Benjamin to retaining a remission of our sins. We do not ponder that concept very much in the church. We ought to think it of it a lot more. Retention clearly depends on the regularity of our repentance. In the church, we worry and should over the retention of new members, but the retention of our remissions is cause for even deeper concern. Also, uh, we retain that remission of sins by faithful observance of covenants we have made with God and through Jesus Christ, or Christ-like service to those in need. That's from the Doctrinal Commentary of the Book of Mormon. And ye shall grow in the knowledge of the glory of him that created you, or in the knowledge of that which is just and true. And uh, verse 13, And ye, ye will not have a mind to injure one another, but to live peaceably, and to render to every man according to that which is his due. In other words, love our neighbor. And ye will not suffer your children that they go hungry or naked, neither will ye suffer that they transgress the laws of God, and fight and quarrel one with another, and serve the devil who is the master of sin, and who, or who is the evil spirit which hath been spoken of by our fathers, he being an enemy to all righteousness. In other words, teach your children correct principles. But ye will teach them to walk in the ways of truth and soberness. Ye will teach them to love one another and to serve one another. And also ye yourselves will succor those that stand in need of your succor. Ye will administer to, to your, of your substance unto him that standeth in need. And ye will not suffer that the beggar putteth up his petition to you in vain and turn him out to perish. The word succor also means to rescue, to run to, to assist. Uh, so, so in other words, to, to those that have been born again, um, they they have uh, they have the joy, the joy that comes from repentance. Joseph F. Smith said, "We have always managed to give something to the poor and refuse no one who asks for food." I believe this is the general sentiment and character of the Latter Day Saints. I think all the Mormon people are kindly disposed and are generous toward the poor and unfortunate, and that there is not a Latter Day Saint under the sound of my voice or anywhere that would not divide his portion with his fellow creature in case of need. I have seen men go away from my door with good bread and butter in their hands, good enough for any king to eat, for my folks make good bread and good butter, as good as ever I ate on earth, and when out of the gate they have thrown it into the street. It was not food they wanted, they wanted money. For what? That they might go do some gambling hall or some drinking saloon. Of, of course they are responsible for that. We can only judge by appearances and by the promptings of the good spirit within us. And it is better to give to a dozen that are unworthy than to turn away empty one worthy person. How should this verse be interpreted in a modern context? In other words, the giving to the poor. All of the social rules that govern Benjamin's society have changed dramatically. Benjamin's people were primarily agricultural and rural. His people had no monetary economy, but rather one built on exchange. Thus, for Benjamin, one who had no food was one who had somehow been displaced from his land and therefore his ability to grow his own food. Whether through war or illness, the removal of a person from his land created a condition of need, not poverty in the sense that, he, that we might understand it. In a modern society, need is now much more complex and related to a, a monetary economy. The beggars who put their petition to us may or may not be in need of food. What we, what we give is money and not food, and the money offering may or may not be used for the need of the body. Thus, in the modern world, the complexities of society have changed to the point where the nature of our charity must also change. As will be evident in the next verse, the real problem is the pride of the giver 
and we may give freely to fast offerings, the ability to give freely and generously gives us the ability to learn generosity and humility, and the needy will be taken care of. That was by Brant Gardner. David O. McKay said, The underlying purpose and far-reaching benefits of paying a fast offering make the monthly observance of fast day one of the most significant features of this Latter-day work. There is in it an economic means which, when carried out by a perfect and active organization, will supply the needs of every worthy person within the confines of the organized wards and branches of the church. Uh, we need to keep in mind that there's an organized way in which all of this is to be done, uh, not just to give haphazardly or randomly to people, but to do it in an organized fashion. That's why fast offerings is such a good thing to do, because we, uh, we know that that's going to go to help the poor and the needy. Verse 17, perhaps thou shalt say, the man has brought upon himself his misery. Therefore, I will stay my hand and will not give, it unto, give unto him of my food, nor impart unto him of my substance, that he may not suffer for his punishments are just. Suppose that in this community there are ten beggars who beg from door to door for something to eat, and that nine of them are impostors who beg to escape work, and with an evil heart practice imposition upon the generous and the sympathetic, and that only one of the ten who visit your doors is worthy of your bounty. Which is best, to give food to the ten to make sure of helping the truly needy one, or to repulse the ten because you do not know which is the worthy one? You, you will all say, administer charitable gifts to the ten, rather than turn away the only true, worthy and truly needy person among them. If you do this, it will make no difference in your blessings whether you administer to unworthy or worthy persons inasmuch as you give alms with a single eye to assist the truly needy. That was from Brigham Young. Verse 18, But I say unto you, O man, whosoever doeth this, the same hath great cause to repent. And except he repenteth of that which he hath done, he perisheth forever, and hath no interest in the kingdom of God. For behold, are we not all beggars? Do we not all depend upon the same being, even God, for all the sustenance or the substance which we have, for both food and raiment, and for gold and for silver, and for all the riches which we have of every kind? As all are dependent on the nurturing help of others, so all are required to extend those same blessings to those in need. That was from Millet McConkie. And behold, even at this time ye have been calling on his name and begging for a remission of your sins, and he has suffered that ye have begged, and has he suffered? that ye have begged in vain? Nay, he has poured out his spirit upon you, and has caused that your hearts should be filled with joy, and has caused that your mouths should be, should be stopped, that ye could not find utterance, so exceedingly great was your joy. And now, if God who has created you, on whom ye are dependent for your lives, and for all that, he, all that ye have and are, doth grant unto you whatsoever ye ask that is right, in faith believing that ye shall receive, O oh, then, how ye ought to impart of the substance that ye have one to another." Elder Maxwell said, Consider how many sincere, sincerely believe that if they simply ask for something in prayer, God will grant it, especially if they ask with at least a modicum of faith. King Benjamin counseled us, however, that while we are to pray in faith, it should be for that which is right. The resurrected Jesus so confirmed, saying, And whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, which is right, believing that ye shall receive, behold, it shall be given unto you. The phrase, which is right, is correlated among various prophetic utterances. Not surprisingly, Paul also understood the need for inspired prayer, saying, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I hope I am not the only one in this audience who has sometimes wondered what to pray about, Therefore, how much in the complexities of life situations we need to have our very prayers inspired? 
And then Millet McConkie said, as God grants only that which is right, so must we. We must give as freely as God gives, seeking to do in the wisdom that is his. Unwise giving can create addiction, indolence, and dependence. It can be destructive to the character and spirit of man. Verse 22, and if ye judge the man who putteth up his petition to you for your substance that he perish not, and condemn him, how much more just will be your condemnation for withholding your substance, which doth not belong to you, but to God, to whom also your life belongeth, and yet ye put up no petition, nor repent of the thing which thou hast done. I say unto you, Woe be unto that man, for his substance shall perish with him. And now I say these things unto those who are rich, as pertaining to the things of this world. And again I say unto the poor, Ye who have not, and yet have sufficient, that ye remain from day to day, I mean all ye who deny the beggar, because ye have not, I would that ye say in your hearts that, I give not, because I have not, but if I had, I would give. And now, if ye say this in your hearts, ye remain guiltless, otherwise ye are condemned, and your condemnation is just, for ye covet that which ye have not yet received. And now, for the sake of these things which I have spoken unto you, that is, for the sake of retaining a remission of your sins from day to day, that ye may walk, blank, walk guiltless before God, I would that ye should impart of your substance to the poor every man according to that which he hath, such as feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the sick, and administering to their relief, both spiritually and temporally, according to their wants. Even more important is that God gives you a remission of your sins from day to day. That is great if that happens. They stay with you. Nevertheless, a remission of your sins means another chance. You will be given another chance. He knows you are going to sin some more, too, but he will still give you another chance, just as long as you are in the flesh. Remember that marvelous verse where Nephi said, And the days of the children of men were prolonged according to the will of God that they might repent while in the flesh. We live far longer than we need to, but that gives us a better chance to repent. He said that is the purpose of lengthening it beyond the age of procreation, etc. That was from Hugh Nibley. If we don't teach people how to help themselves, we are hurting them. We should be careful not to be hurting a beggar spiritually because we are helping them physically in a wrong way. Verse 27, and see that all these things are done in wisdom and order. If it is not requisite that a man should run faster, for it is not requisite that a man should run faster than he has strength. Take care of self, family, extended family, then others as we are able in the Lord's way. Elder Maxwell said, When we run faster than we are able, we get both inefficient and tired. I have on my wall a wise and, wonder, uh, and useful reminder by Anne Murrow Lindbergh concerning one of the realities of life. She wrote, My life cannot impl implement in action the... the um, let me start over. My life cannot implement in action the demands of all the people to whom my heart responds. That's good counsel for us all, not as an excuse to forego duty, but as a sage point about pace and the need for quality in relationships. Continuing verse 27. And again, it is expedient that he should be diligent, that thereby he might win the prize. Therefore, all things must be done in order. I am convinced that if Satan can't influence us to sin outright, the next best thing he can do is to fill our lives with so much clutter that he becomes our silent partner, so silent that it, too often we are unaware of his influence in speeding up the pace of our lives and camouflaging our priorities. That was from Jack Christiansen. Uh, verse 28, And I would that ye should remember that whosoever among you borroweth of his neighbor should return the thing that he borroweth according as he doth agree, or else thou shalt commit sin, and perhaps thou shalt cause thy neighbor to commit sin also. Your neighbor may be angry for not returning that borrowed item. And finally, I cannot tell you all the things whereby you may commit sin, for there are divers ways and means, even so many that I cannot number them. 
Sin is anything that offends the spirit, and there are many ways and means to commit sin, so many that they cannot be numbered. However, we have no need to feel overwhelmed. There is no subject the spirit would rather discuss with us than our sins. If we want to, a, near, a near guarantee that a prayer will be answered, all we need to do is with real intent ask, Father, tell me the ways and means my thoughts, my words, or my deeds have offended thee. I would like to change any and everything in my life. That would, that would keep me from having the spirit to be with me. That is a prayer we can be sure will be answered. If we then proceed to correct our sins, we place ourselves in a position to receive more blessings from heaven. The prophet Joseph said, search your hearts and see if you are like God. I have searched mine and feel to repent of all my sins. That was from Errol, Errol Fish. President Kimball said, the curse of the earth is sin. It covers every area. It takes on numerous forms and dresses itself in many kinds of apparel, depending on factors such as the stratum of society in which it is operating. But whether man calls it convention or business or uses it, uses any other euphemism, it, it, if it offends God's law, it is sin. Verse 30, but this much I can tell you that if, if you do not watch yourselves and your thoughts and your words and your deeds and observe the commandments of God, and continue in the faith of what ye have heard concerning the coming of our Lord, even unto the end of your lives. Ye must perish. And now, O man, remember and perish not. And that's the end of uh, King Benjamin's discussion at this point. Let me just read you one final quote here by George Q. Cannon. He says, Some people have an idea that because they have entered the waters of baptism and repented of their sins, that then that is an end of it. What a mistake. We, we need to have this spirit of repentance continually. We need to pray to God to show us our conduct every day. Every night before we retire to rest, we should review the thoughts, words, and acts of the day and then repent of everything we have done that is wrong or that has grieved the Holy Spirit. Live this way every day and endeavor to progress every day. We may indulge in many things that are not right, indulge in wrong thoughts, be actuated by wrong motives, may, may have wrong uh, objects in view. Therefore, we need to repent every day and every hour, every one of us. And that was from the gospel truth. I bear testimony of these things and pray that each of us might look look inwardly and see what areas we can repent of and and change and do better at. And, uh, and every night ask God, what can I do to do better? And he'll answer that prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Look forward to seeing you the next time. Uh, if you like this, uh, you can subscribe and uh, send, tell your friends. Thanks. Bye.